Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Permanente Docs chat today. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. Uh, I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, in the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. So thank you all for joining or tuning in today from wherever you may be listening or watching. Um, be sure to check out the Permanente Medicine YouTube page where you can listen to all the podcasts, both past, present, and future. Um, today, I am very excited to welcome our guest and, dare I say, good friend, uh, Dr. Ramona Snipes, who is an emergency medicine physician here in Southern California as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. But she is also, and I'm going to butcher her title here, but I'm going to try, uh, she is the Assistant Medical Director of Physician Human Resources, Culture, and Wellness, as well as the Chief Compliance Officer here in Southern California and in the Hawaii Permanente Medical Group. Um, I like to say she's the Chief People Officer because that's easier to say. Um, so, so, Dr. Snikes, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And you did a great job on the okay. title. Oof. That's exactly um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this past uh, February uh, 3rd uh, marked the birthday of Elizabeth Blackwell, who was the first female physician in the United States. She graduated from medical school in 1849. So on February 3rd every year, we honor all of our women's physician with Women's Physicians Day. Um, and so we are here to discuss women in medicine um, and the state of women in medicine, but also I think, you know, with a lot of your work, uh, we can expand that conversation to inclusion of all the various different um, uh, minoritized or, 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 or vulnerable populations uh, within our country and making sure we're, we're raising awareness, um, but also we're doing it in an equitable way. So we're kind of addressing everyone too, when we're not being too exclusionary by trying to be more inclusive at the same time, if that makes yeah. sense. It absolutely makes sense. And what a great opportunity for us to have this conversation, right? Here in Southern California, um, we uh, recognize uh, women in medicine, um, kind of this grassroots organization um, within our uh, Permanente Medical Group, but also uh, with an annual symposium uh, that was initially sponsored by one of our area medical directors and um, our executive medical director, Ed Ellison, and now by our executive medical director, Ramin Davidoff. So what a great opportunity for us to think about it, to remember it, to to honor it, um, and also um, for the other observances that happen in the month of Febru February. Um, we have uh, African American History Month, mm -hmm. um, which is an important month for, for us to recognize as well, as are many. Um, and then last night, I got an email from one of our colleagues and partners from San Bernardino County, where I also practice medicine, um, recalling that it is also Day of Observance next week, February 19th, um, or is that the week after, um, which, on, or which remembers uh, the executive order that interred many of our Japanese American citizens during um, one of the most recent worldwide uh, conflicts. And so um, it's important for us to remember all of these things and to remember our history as a nation um, and our opportunities to do better. Uh, that I think is the most important pieces of, of the things that you've brought up, Women in Medicine, uh, Remembrance Day or Day of Remembrance and all things um, inclusion and equity. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many, so many topics. So we're, we're going to try to keep this quick and high yield. We only have about 20 minutes or so. So if you're listening to this live um, and you're on the webinar, please feel free to drop your questions in the Q and a box. And we'll try and get to them as to as many as we can. Don't, don't wait too long, put them in early. Um, and then uh, we're, we're just going to jump right in. So, you know, Dr. Snipe, tell us, you know, just a little bit more about who you are and what you do and a little bit of your background as well. 
Absolutely. So first and foremost, most importantly, you mentioned a lot of titles. I am a Southern California Permanente Medical Group partner. I've been with SCPMG for 15 years now, um, having come from a single discipline partnership on the East Coast, um, but now practicing in our multidisciplinary integrated healthcare system as a Permanente emergency physician. I joined the then Fontana um, in 2008, and we are now Southern uh, well, SBC, right? The uh, uh, San Bernardino County Medical Center with our two hospital system. Um, so that I practice emergency medicine, I'm board certified emergency physician, and uh, am now the uh, chief people officer, as you put it, and chief compliance officer for Southern California and Hawaii. So those are the things that I do. I do all of those things. Even more importantly, I am a mom and a wife. Um, so, you know, we, we have this wonderful partnership, but my community at home consists of my family. I have two daughters, uh, Sophia and Alyssa, and I am married to the same person for 21 years. This I'm moving into 22 this year. Wow. So congratulations. Really thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's, let's start about just kind of talking about a little bit about the, the state of women in medicine right now. So, so healthcare as an industry at this point is now over 77% female, uh, yet women still experience significant bias, um, as well as difference in terms of expectations and standards. Um, can you, can you speak to how, how we break some of these patterns and, and build a more inclusive culture for, you know, whatever your gender identity is? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we need to understand that healthcare is an extension of the society around us. That's first and most important. And so the biases that we experience, that we grow with um, as we become adults and move into healthcare, the same biases we bring with us to work. And so it's important for us to first and foremost be committed to the concepts around equity and inclusion um, and to be aware that each one of us has bias. And each system that we experience here in America has been built around a majority definition, a majority construct. Um, It has built in inequities, uh, not necessarily because of poor intention, but as we understand that, it gives us opportunity to examine and re-examine our systems and processes and to rebuild them and evolve them for greater equity and inclusion in mind. Um, Healthcare is no different, right? So as long as we understand that, I think it gives us the first place to be able to improve that. Um, I'll go a little further into that, if I may. Um, Here in Southern California, Permanente Medical Group, we think about the PRESS model. It it is an improvement process model, but it's also a model that's been made uh, very popular in the conversation by Robert Livingston. We need to be able to identify that there is a problem. And for many of us, we don't recognize that there's a problem. So it's important for us to be able to acknowledge it, to be able to prove it, to speak to it. Um, It's not just a perception. It's not just a feeling. It's not just angst by a group of folks who are historically marginalized. There are real and systemic things and data to support that inequities exist in our society. Um, Once we understand that there is a problem, we need to understand how we got there. What is the root cause of that problem? If we understand how we got there and that there is a problem, then we need to seriously think about um, empathy. Do we care that there is a problem? Um, And so if we care that there is a problem, then we move on to the strategy of solving that problem and the sacrifice of those things that need to happen as a result um, or so that we can improve equity. Some folks get a little afraid of the idea of sacrifice, but not all sacrifice is problematic or painful. We know that equitable organizations, we know that diverse organizations perform better. So I do believe that as we think with an equity lens, as we look with an equity lens, we actually improve our business, we improve our society and we improve the experience for all the people around us. 
Wow, there's so much to unpack in that in that statement, and so, so much of that rings so true for multiple different levels too. And I, I think about it as sort of the the personal level, the the and, and the systems level as well too. So um, let let's start with maybe the personal too. And mm-hmm. you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of implicit bias training, which is really eye opening as well too. So um, for for individuals, um, be it if they have done some some work in this area, or maybe they haven't done as, as much work in this area, wh- where do you recommend people start when it comes to thinking about equity and, and bias and just becoming more aware of our own implicit biases as well? Well, there's so many places for us to to begin as individuals, right? I, I love to repeat, I didn't come up with this saying, but proximity, proximity and prejudice have difficulty coexisting in the same space. And so it's important for us to surround ourselves with people who are different from us so that we can begin to experience people as individuals and not just as their labels or their identities. Um, identity is important. Cultural context is important, but so is the value in each person. And so I think for me um, and for many people, just being in relationship to and with people who are not like ourselves is difficult, but it's a good place to begin. Mm-hmm. And it's also important for us to begin to educate ourselves. We know that equity, inclusion, and diversity have different meanings. Not all of us know that. And so how when we begin to educate ourselves on what those things mean um, and think through the systematic and historical biases and marginalization in this country, then we gain a greater awareness of why people approach life with different, different perspectives, different experiences, again, different cultural contexts. So I think that's one place that I would recommend a lot of people begin is starting with proximity and then moving on to education. Um, oftentimes in the world of equity, inclusion, and diversity, we wait for the changing of hearts and minds. That's another area that we really need to think about things differently. When we start with ourselves, we can change our hearts and minds, but when we change systems and processes, we actually have to change behaviors and structures. Um, And so being very cognizant that we don't all come along the journey at the same pace with the same intention um, or even with the same hearts and minds experience is going to be very, very important when we look at things with an equity lens in mind or with an inclusive lens. Um, So those are some of the places that I would recommend. Yeah. Do uh, when it comes, I, I feel like for the individual level is, is is one place. When it comes to systems as well, I, I feel like there's a lot of resistance to this because some individuals don't necessarily see uh, that there's room at the table for everybody, and it's not necessarily a zero sum game. If we right. if we include more voices and more perspectives, it doesn't take away from others as well. It just it just diversifies and makes that discussion and that decision process much more richer. And to you said with a better quality, a better endpoint also, how, how do we talk to individuals? How do we convince individuals who maybe feel, let's be honest, threatened um, uh, with, with bringing in a diversity of voices and perspectives and genders and, and what have you? Um, how do we, how do we address that at the systems level? Well, one of the most important things you said right there, Alex, was it's not a zero sum game. Right. And so when we exclude other voices, other perspectives of their experiences, other ways of approaching problems, challenges, ideas, um, then we create a a, a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. But when we are open to the concepts that inclusion and equity bring about more synergy, more opportunity, number one, that takes away one of the threats. Right. Um, Another thing that we need to think about, uh, again, is. Um, For many folks, they have never confronted the conversation. They have not 
been socialized to be ideas. And so when you don't have the proximity of difference around us, and we in healthcare don't usually have that luxury, but there are plenty of people who don't have differences or significant differences around them. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to educate ourselves, to be interested in understanding the differences that other people approach life with. Um, Implicit bias denial is a huge challenge, right? Here in Permanente Medicine, I believe we understand that if you have a brain, you have bias. And -hmm. it's really about being aware of that bias and mitigating that bias, um, that we approach um, healthcare, care delivery, the ideas of other people working in a community. Um, but when you don't have the opportunity to confront that belief system, therein lies the challenge. So it, it, it again really comes down to number one, being open to the idea, understanding that bias exists. We all have it. Uh, and, and that gives us permission to then begin to explore it. If you have bias, if you know you have bias, begin to explore what your biases are, begin to explore what the diversity of the human spectrum includes, and then you have that opportunity to understand better and to appreciate and believe people when they tell you what their experiences are, what their, what their emotions are, how they feel about things. Um, I love that, again, the spectrum of humanity. Um, and understanding that we are not simply the sum of our identities. We are so much more than that. Yeah, that, that, I, I love that. We are more than the sum of our identities. It's fantastic. Um, well, let's let's switch gears a little bit here. So, uh, you know, I think um, you, uh, I'm going to be very honest here. I, I see you as a role model for myself and for many of my other colleagues as well, for someone who um, just has, has such tremendous uh, leadership and um, the way you approach issues, the way you talk to people, the way you you in- inspire and encourage us all too. So tell me, you know, who who have been some of your mentors um, along your journey? And also, you know, tell me some thoughts about, you know, mentorship versus sponsorship, um, which are a little bit different as well too. So yeah. t- tell me who your mentors are and how we can build uh, robust sponsorship systems, particularly not only for women, but for other other uh, minorities or people who are less represented in leadership in medicine as well. Yeah. Well, first, I, I look for mentors everywhere. Um, we have something that we can learn from everyone. And we have something that we can learn from every experience, our own experiences or observed experiences. And so I have had many mentors um, not of a single identity, not of a single cultural context, not of a single gender, um, who have taught me something about my approach to people and my approach to leadership. Ultimately, uh, leadership is about how you take care of the people around you and the things that you are the steward of. That's that's my strong belief in leadership. I would say that my father-in-law is one of my mentors. Um, he is... Um, he has been a leader in an organization for a very, very long time. He's a pastor. Um, but his approach to that, um, understanding that people are more than just the sum of their behaviors, mm-hmm. I think that he has been one of the, the best mentors that I have ever had and been able to see. Um, I have been mentored by people who technically report to me. Um, I remember um, when I was chief of the emergency department and um I made a comment about someone that may at this point in my life be a little embarrassing. Um, I I was looking at their work ethic from the the perspective of being a Gen Xer looking at a millennial. I didn't call it that, but that was the perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was challenged um, by by someone who technically reported to me to think about that differently. 
Um, and you know what? I'm glad that that he challenged me um, and we hired that person and that person is a partner today. So I, I would say that I can think of many people. They're huge historical figures, governmental figures, but I look for mentorship in all of the people that I encounter because I do believe we can learn something from everyone. Things to do and things not to do, to be to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great, uh, great insight. We can learn from everyone too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we have a question here in the chat, which goes back a little bit to, to more about a health, more equitable healthcare system. So what does what su- success look and feel like for clinicians and for patients when we achieve a more equitable healthcare system where we are being more inclusive um, in our in our approach as well? But a little bit, a little bit uh, probably down, down in the rabbit hole, but I think a great question nonetheless. Well, it is a great question, right? It's why we all joined Kaiser Permanente. It's to deliver healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that equity, when we look at different demographics groups, looks different in the outcomes that we have for our patients. Um, to be at the 30,000 foot level, we know that we achieve equity when we look backwards at our patient outcomes and we can't tell their zip codes, their ethnicity, their age, their gender based on the outcomes that we have. That's when we've achieved true ethnicity. I mean, when true equity. Mm-hmm. And so in order to achieve that, we really, again, need to believe our patients and involve them in the things that affect them. What is it that I need in order to be my best self? Um, to live my best life. We know about the social determinants of health. This is not new information to those of us in healthcare. And yet I think for many of us, we miss the opportunities to meet our patients in their lived experience and to offer them the things that they need to achieve their best health. And so um, as we learn more, as we understand more, we need to do more and we need to do better. Um, I love to, to reflect on Dr. Jin, uh, Nancy Jin, our, our medical director of quality and systems of care here in Southern California. And she talks about an experience that she had with a patient where she was saying yet again how he needs to purchase his medications um, and take his medications as he ought. And then he finally shares with her his living situation, his lack of money, his lack of a home, um, I believe, was part of the story. And so at that point, she understood the things I'm expecting him to do. He can't just achieve them simply because I'm missing out on his context. He needs more help than that. And so equity and equality are different. Equality means I give everyone the same thing. Right. Equity means I give you what you need to be your best. And so that's one of the examples that I think about when I think about Dr. Jin and the opportunities for equity in healthcare delivery. We are primed um, and positioned to do that in the communities that we serve. One beautiful thing about being part of such a huge organization is that Kaiser Permanente has the ability as an integrated system to achieve that on behalf of our communities and for our patients. So um, I think we're in the right place. We do need to be uh, more intentional around the patients that we are serving, and we need to invite them into their healthcare and to understand their lived experience a bit more. Yeah. So there's there's two. Your your comments make me think of two things. Is that difference between equality versus equity? Now this is a podcast. It doesn't lend itself well to visuals. But if we had visuals, yeah. I, I love the picture of the, the the. There's a tall person, a short person, a person in a wheelchair, and they're all given a bicycle, and it's all the mm-hmm. same size bicycle. It's too small for the big person. It's too big for the little person. The person in the wheelchair can't ride the bicycle at all. Mm-hmm. Versus the next, and that's that's 
uh, equality versus equity is the bigger person has a big bicycle. The small person has a small bicycle. The, the person in the wheelchair has a recumbent bicycle. Mm-hmm. So we get everyone what they need so that they can be successful and, and dare I say, thrive. Um, right. uh, and I love that visual too. And the second thing I always, uh, I always think about which your comments made me think about is the, the, particularly when I'm teaching residents, you know, they use the term non-compliant patient is non-compliant with their medications. And every single time someone says that, and I say, no, we're just not getting them what they need so that they can take their medications. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always try to change that because language matters and, and yeah. we have a very specific language in healthcare and whether it's uh, kind of explicit in terms of how we teach that versus sort of implicit. Um, I think that that word non-compliant uh, chief complaint versus chief concern versus, you know, uh, patients having a trouble affording their medications. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's so many different things we do in medicine, which is a very sort of physician centric. And I think we need to make sure we keep it patient centric in many ways as well. Do you have any thoughts there? I'm sure you have thoughts there. I I do. As you were talking, you know, I I reflected on a quote from uh, the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he talked about, and I feel in a, a bit of impunity as a healthcare worker that amongst all of the forms of injustice, injustice or inacts, uh, lack of access to healthcare is mm-hmm. the most inhumane. He said that 60 years ago, mm-hmm. because when we withdraw the ability to provide great access to healthcare, equitable access to healthcare, um, not only do people lose opportunity, they oftentimes lose their lives. And so I do truly believe that people who are historically marginalized by society do not have different or less quality DNA, but yet we are dying earlier, right? When you come from a historically marginalized background. So what is it about the healthcare system, about the society in general, that is not delivering to people what they need in order to to live as long as others? Down to the zip code. Um, and even when you control, right, epigenetics shows us that even when you control for certain factors outside of zip code, there are people who are historically marginalized who are still dying younger than other people. We have a lot of work to do in order to achieve uh, equity in healthcare delivery. Um, there is even research that is emerging that says um, there is a uh, there is a life expectancy benefit with concordant healthcare. Mm-hmm. So we have opportunity to think about how we can do this better, how we can support not only who is delivering care, how that care is delivered with equity in mind. Medicine not only is not exempt from that, um, we perhaps have the most um, the most responsibility and accountability to that. That, that's my thought on that. What yeah. a great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. We could go on and on all day probably, but we do want to keep these short and high yield. So last question here, and perhaps the most important question, what makes you most proud to be, to be a Permanente physician? I'll start with our mission. And I do believe that those of us who have chosen to have careers in Permanente medicine believe in the mission, vision, and values of Kaiser Permanente. Um, And that is all of us. That is all sides of the house. We believe in uh, achieving health care for as many people as we can and to improve the lives of both people and communities. That is, I think, one of the things that I am most proud of in joining Permanente Medicine. Um, The other thing is I was just having a conversation with one of my friends who recently retired, and she talked about how we joined Kaiser Permanente when in Southern California, our reputation was on the upswing. Mm -hmm. What I love about our physician-led, physician-owned organizations is that we um, drive medicine 
for the best possible quality in mind. Mm -hmm. And I often hear our leaders speak to quality being our North Star. And that's an important piece to maintain and to define what that means. Um, Because when we deliver on quality, we deliver on a healthy life, uh, longevity for our members, for the communities, even for our people, right? It's quintuple aim uh, Mm -hmm. sorts of conversations. So everyone deserves Permanente Medicine. Um, If they're not able to get Permanente Medicine, they need something as close as possible to it. Um, And obviously I'm very proud of, of what we do. Uh, when I say that, uh, but I think it's the mission, vision, and values for me. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Snipes, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate the time with you today. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.